Welcome everyone to another Voices with Raveki. Um, so I'm here with Rich Blundell and he reached out to me not, a, not that long ago um, uh, with you know a, a, a very interesting email. And he said, hey, John, uh, your work and my work are convergent in a lot of ways. Um, and then we met and we talked and I was really impressed that Rich isn't just bringing in a, a very powerful theoretical framework, which he does have, um, and I'm sure he'll talk about this, but there's two other things that I, uh, that I, I, I want uh, Rich to talk about and I think are valuable for everybody. Uh, one, uh, Rich has an ongoing actual project uh, working at the level of distributed cognition as well as individual cognition uh, to try and bring about transformation. Um, so he's very much, um, uh, and this is only half of the joke, he's very much like me trying to save the world. And so that is something we share and as grandiose and perhaps as hubristic as that might be, it does not seem that there's any other morally responsible alternative right now. And then the other dimension, which will be a little bit more nuanced and you know, Rich and I will have to help each other dialogically. But when I was talking to Rich, he came, there was the, there's, there's a spiritual dimension to this. Rich it has a participatory uh, connection uh, to what he's talking about. Uh, this is something that uh, and, and again, I, I don't use these terms, uh, I try to use these terms very carefully, but there's a, a properly, I would describe it almost as mystical, properly understood aspect to what he's doing. And it's, and there's connections between the way it reaches the, between from the depths of him to the depths of the world. And that is, you know, empowers and motivates him to engage in the project in a way that just theoretical belief wouldn't. And I think that's very, very important. Um, there's that extra dimension that I think is very, very important uh, for, well, meaning, the meaning crisis and the meta crisis. So um, very, very pleased to have you here, Rich. Why don't you say a bit about yourself, um, a little bit about your background and uh, why you approached me and then, you know, about maybe those two dimensions, the project, your, the projects you're, interest, you're uh, engaged in, and again, the, the, the way in which you decided not to pursue this just academically, but in a more participatory, transformative fashion. Sure, thanks, John. But so let me just address that first thing was just why I re reached out to you in the first place. It's because I deeply respect you and your work. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, as a scholar, you know, and I've had the privilege and the opportunity to really listen to you. And, you know, at every turn you are, just, you know, you are a true scholar and I, I, I admire and I respect your, the rigor that, and that you bring to this in that sense. But then there's, there's also this other side of you that's really willing to engage, you know, with, with ideas that are outside of your discipline and people that are, you know, that may be sort of outliers and things like that. But I think those two things actually go together. Mm. You know, it's your, yeah. your scholarship actually enables your, your your deep and rigorous scholarship enables you gives you that sort of permission to to look wider i, mean, oh, I think i think yeah no i mean that though but but the the, the you know the former really enables the latter in that sense right. so that's thank you and for, for all that you're doing and i also see you being very much you know a participant observer in a lot of this stuff i see you trying things out experimenting and yeah. putting yourself in front of these things. So I don't, it's just, I, I deeply respect that. So thank you. Um, this other thing about when you, you, when you were sort of introducing me, you're talking about the spiritual dimensions of this. 
I find that deeply paradoxical because yeah. Yeah. I have absolutely no experience, no training, no, I haven't done any sort of research in any of the spiritual traditions. My only source really of, you know, propositional knowledge is science. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and, and so I find it deeply paradoxical that I, you're, you're, I can't, it's, it's an inescapable sometimes to speak in spiritual terms. And yeah. I find it uncomfortable, but unavoidable. And so I, I, I struggle right. with that. Right. As do I. So uh, I, I thank you for being honest about that. Well, okay. And so the, the other reason that I, you know, the main reason that I reached out to you is because um, I thought you would be a good person to, um, there is this, there is this, practice that I call oika, which is actually, it's much more than a practice. I mean, we can talk about it as a practice, yeah. but it really is a yeah. life world. It's, a, it's, 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 it's the, it's a, it's a way of being in the world. Right. And so I was hoping to sort of present it to you as a proposal yes. Yes. and then see if you thought it, it, you know, sufficed as a candidate for a psychotechnology. I get the excellent. sense that it might. Yeah. yeah and and I, so I thought you'd be a good person to um, sort of it, we, so that so that if I could get you to you know, understand what it is, the sort of the contours of it, and then we could you know really sort of deconstruct it and um, interrogate it in some sense to see if right. it, to see if it how it works. Yeah, and that might uh, that might help shed light on that paradox you just put your finger on a few minutes ago. Too, yeah, why we are called okay. to talk about it in a certain way, um, uh, called from within scientific language, nevertheless to speak of speak of a way that's not traditionally thought of as scientific. So let so first of all, why the term oika? I, I, you know, the ancient Greek term for the household, it's at the base of the word economics, yeah. right? Uh, it, it, were you picking up on those associations? I am. I mean, the term, the Greek term oikos uh, is where it sort of is, is grounded. I kind of invented the word um, right. based on that idea of uh, home. You know, right. but in the in the ancient Greek conception, it, oikos, it was more about, um, you know, uh, home was this sort of uh, this synthesis of the person and the person being the man and the house. Right. So the man, the man of the house and then all of the sort of material things that are in the house, which is what right. oikos sort of refers to as this collective sense of home. And I kind of wanted to expand that out maybe make it more inclusive and less right. patriarchal in a sense of course um yeah. and that's where the term oika comes from and oh, you're right it's yeah so it's more sort of a feminine feminized you know um version ah. of oiko right right and and the other thing is that um it um um i forgot what i was going to say but um that it um Oh, that it's not only the, the, the root of the term eco as in economics, it's also the root of the term eco as in ecology, which ah, I think is really profound, actually. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. Oh, so you're pointing to like a common connection or a common source of both of those? A common that... source, yeah, in a yeah. way of sort of reinte reintegrating and recoupling those two ideas, which is, you know, we could maybe get to that later, but there is a part of what I do that is, that is, um, directly trying to recouple economic and ecologic concerns using like crypto blockchain philosophy, that kind of thing. Right. Um, we can talk about that later. But um, the reason, you know, the reason I even know about what Oikos is, is because I've trained as an ecologist. That's my fundamental background is as an ecologist. 
Uh, I started in ge geology and ecology, did a lot of marine sciences, that kind of thing, evolutionary dynamics. Um, then I got into the history and philosophy of science. So I ended up doing a you know, master's degree, which is which was kind of a deep dive into the philosophy of science, which was, um, which would, I think the most valuable thing I got from that was not to see how powerful science is, but how limited it is, how yeah. really it, it, to claim something being scientific, you know, it, it creates this real constraint on what it is that it can be. If you're going to call it scientific, at least in my perspective, you know, sure. kind of old school that science has a methodology and right. if it, and there, it's falsifiable and it's, it's reproducible and it's, you know, it has all these sort of, you know, controls and it's, right. it's stated in terms of probabilities, you know, all of these things that make science science. And so we, we tend to like, but that was the that was the real highlight there was that I realized, boy, science is really limited in what we can say, actually. And there's so much more to the complexity and the nuance of the world that is in some sense out of the reach of science. Maybe not in principle, but at least in practice, it's currently you know, un unavailable to us. So um, and then I ended my sort of academic training in uh, a new and emerging field called big history. Uh, which is also sometimes called deep history, which is essentially um, the story of the universe, the whole cosmos, to, you know, presented and studied in a way that actually includes the, the human history. So it's, it's cosmic history, it's natural history, it's human history, it's history, right. but it's all history as a kind of integrated uh, narrative. So it's which, like deep um, time. It is, it's sort of based on deep time, but you know, it, it, and there's a lot of challenges and there's a lot of, it's, ha, it's having, the field is still having a lot of growing pains. You know, it's really trying to sort of figure out what it is, but it was the only discipline, if you can call it that, that could really contain my curiosity about the world. You know, I was sort of on a mission back then to, to understand what this is, you know, like it was one of the, you know, this, this fundamental question of what is, what is this, like this thing that we all are living and sharing in what is this and big histories was the only you know scholarly way to really even think about approaching you know understanding that question what what, what is this what is reality you know um so, so who are some yeah. names in this field is i don't know is sean carroll an example of this with the big picture book or it, it, like who who are you reading it well um it's 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 kind of a hodgepodge, frankly. It's uh it's it's made you know it was it was the coin the term was coined by David Christian, uh, right. an Australian scholar who was actually my PhD supervisor, um, but there are others in the field. Um, Craig Benjamin is a big name. Um, Eric Shaisan, who was the director of Center for Astrophysics at Harvard, he's the one that sort of um, has been you know very um, prolific in publishing about these things. So there's and frankly, you know, it's been a few years now since I was sort of in the in scholar in the scholarly sort of field. So I haven't sure, really sure. kept up with how it's how it's there was a moment where um, Bill Gates got involved and um, started, you know, funding big scale, big history projects. But by that time, I had really sort of fallen out of favor with it. Another, not fallen out of favor, but I'm just not as interested in it as a scholarly discipline as that wasn't why I was studying it. I was studying it more because I simply wanted to understand, you know, my own 
experience of the world, right. which it was an amazing way to do. It was really an amazing way to do that. But as far as, um, you know, active research, I'm, I'm not really up on who's publishing at the moment, if anybody, frankly. Okay, well, fair enough. Why, why did you come to find that uh, that that academic pursuit was inadequate? Like you said, you, you, you sort of lost the taste for it or something? I'm trying to get a sense. No, I, I, I got the sense that there was a lot of confusion over, you know, what what science was and where science ended in terms of like historical scholarship. There were a lot of historians that were getting involved. And as someone who had just come through the whole, the grist mill of the philosophy of science, I just, it was, it was like, it was like working with a bunch of kids in a candy store. Suddenly there was this sort of whole population of historians that could use scientific language, but weren't doing science, but they were using, they were using science in their, you know, in their investigations of history, which that's, that's a noble and that is a just cause, but it's not, it just didn't have the enough history in itself as, you know, as a cohesive discipline to really hold my attention other than, you know, other than as a offering this amazing narrative, which is right. this right. Inf infinite narrative of, of complexity, you know, well, it, and what the really cool thing is that it ties everything together. You know, right. at the beginning, you're talking about the Big Bang and you're talking about the cosmic microwave background radiation and you're talking about the formation of stars and nucleosynthesis and you're talking about supernovas and how supernovas, you know, lead to the formation of planets and how stars and planets orbit each other and how life can emerge and how mm -hmm. when life emerges and complexifies, you know, um, specialized organisms can multi you know multicellular or organisms can arise and then you know mammals primates consciousness art all right yeah, yeah. E politics suddenly you know and you're that that's what's the most fascinating right. thing about it right. you know it's it, is that it provides this cohesive narrative in which to to sort of contextualize everything that we know that's right. what really is so fascinating about it which is one of the, you know, this is, we're getting, you know, starting to get into why I, when I'm reaching out to you, it's because I want to take what you talk about and take what the communities of practice that you, you know, mingle with yeah. and, and see if we can't map those things and map the meaning crisis onto this cosmic narrative. Can we, oh, wow. can we somehow draw new insight, new wisdom toward everything that you're talking about from this from this big big natural history and and i everything that i know everything that i have ever learned about the cosmic story it it is profoundly consistent with the things that i hear you talking about and i want i want i want to i want to interrogate that i want to understand that. yeah yeah, every, yeah so Keep, so keep that's going. the that's the that's the proposal is to right. um and now I don't think we'll like be able to in this call yeah. you know really walk step by step through that narrative because it's a 13.8 billion year story. Right. Uh, granted a lot of that story is is you know th there's a whole period called the boring billions when nothing happened. Right, but right. nothing you know nothing in terms of like a no thresholds and complexity were crossed but but there are things that 
I you know have studied in the story of the universe that I think directly link directly not directly not always directly and not always like you know quickly but show up in what you're talking about with some of the other you know like with Greg Greg Enriquez and yeah and even yeah. Scott Jordan these things yeah. that you're talking about have precursors right. even even when you when you're talking about you know the great philosophers I can there's something that you're saying that, that I, I can hear the cosmic story unfolding That's in what you're powerful. saying. That's powerful. That's very powerful. Well, well, I, and I'd like to, I'd like to, I'd like to take that seriously. You know, I'd like to see sure. how this, this goes. Seriously. Yeah. yeah, very much. I, well, okay. So in order to do that, I think the first sort of concept that we might sort of look at is this idea of ontological continuity. Yes. yes. So maybe could you tell me what that means to you, like that, that term? So the version I get comes from 40 cognitive science, especially from Evan Thompson, who was uh, probably the premier uh, student, maybe even protege is the best word of Barella. Um, and, um, and so the idea there is that there's a deep continuity between the principles of cognition, perhaps consciousness, but let's just say cognition for now principles of cognition that, you know, what makes us intelligent learners and problem solvers and the principles of biology, both ontogenetically and phylogenetically. Um, so to give one example, um, I would argue, and there's a lot of argument behind this, so I'm just gesturing at this argument, that, you know, a core feature of relevant, uh, of intelligence is this capacity for relevance realization. And that relevance realization is basically using principles very similar to how biological evolution works. It's introducing variation, then putting selective pressure on it. It's just doing that in a, in a sort of a, a, a much more uh, local and rapid time scale. Um, but you can see that um, right, the principles of evolution that, by which we can explain the emergence of new species um, can also be used to explain the emergence of new solutions to problems, for example. Um, and so you can get, there's a continuity between um, the, the principles you invoke to explain how cognition is working and the principles you invoke to explain how evolution is working. That's just one example. But the idea is there's a continuity. Now, the reason why continuity is used rather than identity is because identity is, and I think this is right, identity is usually denotes a reductive explanatory strategy whereby you say the upper level is completely explainable in terms of the lower level. And people, people have a sense of this when, you know, when individuals say, love is nothing but chemistry in the brain. That's a reductive explanation. The point about invoking continuity is to, not, uh, is to say there is important identity of principle, but there are also important differences that point to emergence. Um, and, and so that the, uh, the upper level cognition um, really exists. It's not just chemical reactions. So what they're trying to do with deep continuity is get the idea of an identity of principles, but also a difference that is responsible to real emergence within the ontology. So that's what, how I understand ontological. And then the idea, of course, is that living things are autopoetic things. They have deep continuity with self-organizing systems that are not biological things. Uh, again, that's not to say that biology can be reduced just to the chemistry, but right there is important continuity. So that you know, learning about how systems um, self-organize or autocatalytic, 
right, can help us understand the emergence of life. There's a continuity, there's similar principles, but it will also help to highlight, yeah, but what's new? Like, as you said, when we cross that threshold, what's the novelty that's now introduced in our ontology? So continuity is an attempt to say, there's important identity between levels, but there's important emergence and novelty. There are thresholds that are also crossed. That's how I understand the proposal of deep continuity. Okay, um, that 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 I think that jibes with what you know what I was thinking. But the the, the um, you know the version that really struck me when I was starting you know when I was trying to come up with a research question and doing all my research was came from Eric Chaisson, actually. Uh, he's the guy at the uh, Smithsonian uh, Astrophysics Center at Harvard. And, and, and this, is the, this, is the par this is the actual sort of paragraph that I took, took to, I, I'm taking it seriously. So let me just see if I can um, say it here. So it's, um, he says, if we are to articulate a unified worldview for all complex systems observed throughout nature, then we must objectively and consistently model each of them identically. To restate once more for clarifying, clarifying emphasis, which is not something that astronomers tend to do unless they, unless they mean it, to restate once more for clarifying emphasis, complex systems likely differ fundamentally not in kind, but only in degree. That is degree of complexity manifesting ontological continuity. And so when I read that, the way I sort of, interpret that is that you know if you really want to have a deep and accurate you know to the degree that you can you know description of reality then you must sort of model it as 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 ontologically continuous in other words that reality is a, is a continuum so what he what he was doing was he was measuring energy energy density so a energy as a function of complexity. And, right. and he looked at all these different phenomena in nature you know, and, and basically graphed them out. And when you put this, these graphs together with the actual narrative, the, the ontogenetic narrative of the universe, right. then what you see is that there really, there is no, there is nothing to distinguish entities categorically, but only by degree of basically energy density was what he was saying. So, so what he's saying is that, that everything that is, is on a continuum, Yes. that everything that we can observe in nature. And, and if you're going to say everything, what do you mean by nature? Because to me, nature means everything. What isn't nature? You know, I, I, I haven't been able to discern that there's anything outside of nature, which I think, you know, you hold a naturalistic, you know, much, stance. Yes. Yeah. And so do I. So, and, and if we really take that seriously, then what, what it seems to me that he is saying is that, that, that everything is on a continuum that goes for the fundamental forces at the beginning of the universe. It goes for the, you know, the, the earliest atoms, the primordial sort of atoms that made the earliest molecules that converged into the first stars. And so the stars and the atoms and the fundamental forces are all on a continuum. Sure. And if those are on a continuum, then so are the planets. And if those are on a continuum, then so is the life that emerges on a planet. And if that's on a continuum, then so, you know, so are we, we are on this continuum. And if we are on this continuum and we 
dream or we have ideas or we imagine futures or we do politics or whatever it is we do, all of these things are still on that continuum. And so that that's what I took to him to mean is that if we are to really take it seriously and, and all the evidence suggests that this is the case, then, then, then really, you know, and this, and this sort of is consistent with many of the kind of philosophical insights that I hear you talk about, you know, sure. that, that there are people like Whitehead who I, I can't tell, you know, I, I've, I've generally speaking, I've forgotten all the philosophy that I've learned, but <laughs> there are certain philosophical traditions that I think were sort of onto this, that we're sure. on to this idea of yeah. continuity and, and process being this thing that, you know, that sort of connects everything. And, but, and, and this is, this is the thing too. It's like, when I hear you speak with other, you know, scholars like Scott Jordan and, and, and yeah. I hear so much convergence. I hear, I hear, yeah. I mean, and, I mean, just un, un, it's inescapable amounts of convergence. And so, you know, in, in you know, I, I would call that also consilience that there are, you know, that people, I think so. all of these tr traditions yeah. are arriving at this, at these insights that we barely have the language, barely have the concepts to, you know, to describe and to put to language. But we're, and we've come from these disparate lines of inquiry, you know, whether it's theology or philosophy or you know, now we see you know, indigenous traditions and psychedelic stuff. And we see, you know, um, just wellness and mindfulness traditions and, you know, Buddhist sort of things that are going on. They're all sort of pointing at this, at this idea, which sounds a lot to me like ontological continuity. Mm -hmm. So something that's completely consistent with this, you know, the purely scientific, uh, not, not necessarily reductionist, but a, a purely rational scientific worldview yeah is 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 showing up in all these other fields as well and and i think this is how one who just is committed to science can end up speaking in spiritual terms because yes. because ontological continuity that's why because eventually given enough investigation we're going to discover that there are deep deep universal continuities keep cropping up in the fossil record yeah. but also in 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 philosophy and now in the blockchain and you know everything else these things are showing up so so um you know i'm not sure if this is you know if we can track this conversation or not but um so so this is what i want to talk about i want to talk about this as a practice i want to talk about this as like um so let, let me make sure as, i'm understanding you're saying that okay. There's this deep convergence, which I agree with, which lends pl tremendous plausibility around ontological continuity, um, you know, and, and you know, and you can see this from you know people in the Neoplatonic tradition, Spinoza, Whitehead. You can see it in Greg Enriquez's work. You can write Evans' work, like right? I, I totally. And then what I hear you say is, right? What I what I think is you want to. You want to turn it into a practice, meaning you want to, well, I'm asking a question. Does this mean you want to enter into what is it to be in right relationship to this reality? Because there's one thing to have a theoretical statement about it. And then there is that there's another, it's another thing to realize a, a correct or an appropriate, a right relationship to it. Am I understanding you well? Yes. And the reason that we're in the meaning crisis is that heretofore we have not 
really been in right relationship with it. Right. There was a time when when we were when we were still young and you know and we were still living very close to nature when we all could experience nature every day that that we that we held this. But then over time, by pure accidents of history, we have drifted away from it and we've been struggling to sort of recreate it one way or another ever since and the and this is sort of part and parcel of the meaning crisis that you describe and so i think that if we can come back into right relationship in some way that is scientifically consistent that is not derogatory of all these other traditions that, that can sort of include them as valid and noble sort of attempts that we can, in some sense, start to ameliorate the meaning crisis. Like there are, and, and, you know, what you call the meaning crisis, you know, there are a million words for it. You could call it and social enemy. I think it was Durkheim's enemy. Yeah, enemy, yeah, enemy. The the Anthropocene was the, you know, was kind of the word that I used because it came out of the environmental sciences. Uh, You know, whatever you want to call it, that it's all sort of the same crisis. Yes. And it's a crisis. It's a crisis of identity. It's a. It's a, yes. and 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 this is what puts it square in the lap of cognitive scientists. Is that yes. this is fundamental. All of our problems, essentially, I think. Not all. I'm. I'm I want to make this clear. I'm not a utopianist, right. and I'm. And I'm. I am not naive. I am idealistic, but I'm not naive about this stuff. But what I'm saying is that, that at the root, if you if you dig deep enough to to the to the facets of the meaning crisis or the anthropocene or whatever you want to call it you will get to these psychic accidents you will get to these these fictions these cognitive fictions that we hold and and shape our identity and 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 deep down in there is a is is a profound ameliorative um um revelation to be had there's something here that that will that will by default solve many of the perennial problems because it's because it's working upstream of all of them you well, know that's that's and, a very exciting proposal say more let's keep, let's keep going <laughs> that's, that's fantastic well I, I mean this is like an inescapable this is just logic to me like that if you if you truly think about spend if we really spend our time you know plumbing what science has been able to reveal about the way the way the world is at every turn every chapter in that sort of scientific novel is saying what you're saying when i when you talk about how 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 consciousness how cognition is this function of relevance realization and how an, an organism is in sort of relationship with its in, its environment yeah. and its seeking right relation it's seeking what's relevant which is really a function of relationship right i mean relevance and relationship are not that's not just a coincidence that they are you know like i do think that that there is a deep relational intelligence what i call ecological intelligence that is sort of speaking to us through our cognitive capacities through the way that our consciousness and our cognition has evolved purely through biological, you know, well understood dynamics of Darwinian evolution and, and molecular biology and blah, 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 blah. We can go, we can go all the way down. But the point is that, that somewhere in there is this message and I see the message everywhere, you know, and and I'm not talking about the gospel, you know, I'm talking about 
this message of 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 ontological continuity of of um, deep um, interconnectedness and interdependence of things. Okay. The, and so, and, and I just see that we have every. I, I listen a lot. I listen to podcasts. You know, a lot. I this is why I've devoted my life to this pursuit, and so I listen. And I, at in in every sort of popular podcast that's out there, I hear this. I it, I, I hear a great frustration being voiced. I, yes. I hear a great yes. sort of crying out for something yes. that can that can ameliorate, and. The reason it's frustrating is because I'm like, here it is, you know, it, actually it's right in front of us. It's all, we're immersed in this yeah. stuff. We've just created this, we've created this, uh, this, uh, this artifice of that, that obscures it. And so, um, and we've become sort of, you know, obsessed with this other fiction about who we are. And if we could just kind of, rediscover remember this deeper sense of continuity that we have that expresses itself in through our consciousness by the way you know like it this our consciousness isn't separate from natural history like right. consciousness yeah. is it's just a it's just another part of of it's a profound part but it's just another part of 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 nature seeking to express and know itself you know okay so um, this is really really cool uh, sorry for interrupting but i just want to be able to ask some questions please please um, I, I mean, you're eloquent and so i tend to get swept up um and, and so that it's beautiful so uh, so there's three things i want to ask you about so there's um you, you sound like a neoplatonist by the way was saying remembering remembering and that consciousness actually participates in the deep structures of reality um you said you, you want to turn this into a practice and it sounds like it's a practice of remembering in some profound way. Um, and, 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 then, and this has something to do with um, what you're calling ecological intelligence, which seems to be some, something we, we participate in. Um, it's, not, it's not just subjectively projected from us, right? We, uh, right uh, but we participate no, in- No, no, yeah, right? it's, it's right? in the world. It's right. in the world, and and because we are the world in the world, we are the world. Because we are in the world too, it's in us. Right. So we, the world and, and us, uh, are, are, let's use nature for the most encompassing term, like Spinoza does, and and right, and then we'll use us and the world sort of the way we we've done since the Enlightenment. The idea is that it's in the world and in us, but a better way of saying it is the world and us are both in it. Is that a better way of putting it? Like it's. It, it is as long as, but as long as you acknowledge that we are continuous with it. That of there course, is, of course, that's what I'm. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to yeah. get at, right? Yeah. Um, so, what what is this practice of remembering, and what is it to are we like, what is it to remember this ecological intelligence? Like, what does what does that? You, you in one sense you said it's all around us, but in another sense, right? Um, well. Uh, it seems to me like you're saying, but we have what, you know, a cultural cognitive grammar that's thwarting us, misdirecting us. You've used the word fiction multiple times. It creates a fiction that keeps us from remembering. So like, how, what, what is it that the practice is doing? How is it, is it challenging the fictions? 
Is it getting us to sense uh, the, the ecological intelligence? And then how does it do that? That's, this is very exciting. Well, it does it through narrative. Okay. This is the thing that, that okay, so I, I assume that, you know, we are deeply narrative creatures, like right. that we make meaning and our consciousness is very much linked to our capacity to create these durable structures of experience memory that we call narratives. Like, yeah. so there are narratives about the world, narratives about pens that make it easy for us to sort of, yes. you know, yes. This is a pen. It's a thing that writes. It has ink at one end, and it's this invention of humans. And there's this whole narrative about that we use narrative to make sense of the world, to make meaning of the world. And that's deeply one of our biggest, you know, the greatest endowments that we have as a species, which is what sets us apart in many ways. So if we take that idea that narrative is just so ubiquitous and central to what we do, take that narrative capacity and, and look at the history of the universe with it. What is the story here? Well, the story is that there was this, from this mystery, a big bang happened. And then we can sort of piece together the story of, of how things came to be. And, and somewhere along the way, um, I forget what it is we were trying, oh, we were trying to, um, what is the practice of ecological intelligence? It's, it's, it starts there that, that everything is related to everything, that nothing happens without relationship. Now, this is where like, I'm kind of forced to start talking about the, how the universe is built on relationship. Like if you look at the, we, we I can't really do it deeply now, but if you look at the cosmic microwave background radiation, which sure. is the earliest light that we see in the universe, we have a picture of it, we've taken it. You know, yeah. there's, there's, no, there's no controversy here. We have this picture of the earliest light of the universe. And if you look at it, it's not uniform. It has no. little splotches of blue and green and yellow. It has different temperatures, different energy levels. It's not uniform, but it's those differences in temperature, those differences in energy density in, in the early space time that presents the earliest or some of the earliest opportunities for there to be relationship. Yes, very much. That, that cosmic microwave background radiation evolved into the first stars, the first starry night, the cosmic microwave black background radiation is a blueprint for the first starry night. Those stars formed in places where the energy was less so that the hydrogen and helium could come together in such a way as to ignite the nuclear furnace, stars ignite, nuclear, you know, nuclear synthesis starts. But the point is, if you were watching this thing happen, you'd see the first stars appear in the night sky and suddenly there'd be this starry night. Well, that starry night evolved into later renditions of starry nights up until the one we have tonight. If you go out and look at it tonight, the starry night we see tonight is actually just a, a later version of earlier starry nights. So there's this, the point is those relationships that were in the cosmic microwave background radiation, well, they're still playing out as relationships today in the stars that are in the sky tonight. Well, guess what though? It's not just the relationships between stars that, that are derivative of that. Our relationships are derivative of that because the earth evolved as part of that system too. The relationship between the sun, our star and the earth is actually a relationship that was once has this lineage that goes all the way back to the, to the cosmic microwave background. The point here is that all relationships are derivative of those primordial relationships. What I'm saying in here is that the universe creates 
through relational dynamics. Mm-hmm. If there's if there's no relationship, there's no creativity. If there was no creativity, we wouldn't be here. But and if and if the universe truly is ontologically continuous, then every relationship is 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 a part of that evolving system. So the relationship between me and this pen is actually a lineage of the cosmic microwave back, the relationships that were originally in the cosmic microwave background radiation. This is how ecological intelligence becomes available, accessible. When you see, and, and this story is told like with, with all of the rigor that we can muster, we can tell this story. We know much of the details. And the whole scientific endeavor is really out to disprove this story, but it can't because, so it's the best story we have is that everything has evolved through these, these relational dynamics and they're still evolving now. Every ecosystem that you encounter is on a continuum with those early, really, this is what ecological intelligence is. It's saying that that creative capacity of these systems that are evolving is ecological, meaning it's it's relational. Sure. Now, once once you know that, and once you know that you are a inextricable part of that, then you can see how that intelligence becomes available to you as an inextricable part of it, and that you can, in some sense, participate in that in, in intelligence, participate in that creativity, and suddenly you have a home. This is yeah. now this is it's about being at home in this story in this evolving universe it's like this is beautiful so let's slow down and i want to expand that 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 last that last move you made because that totally that ties it right back to oika you were like home right there's a sense yeah. in which we're getting homed we're getting a cosmological or cosmic home again and so yes yeah, now, so so rich i want to ask you something and this is this is not a circuitous criticism. I want to. I, I want to ask. I want criticism. I want. Okay, okay, I want, but I'm not offering I want one right yet. <laughs> okay. okay. I, I, I know. I, I, critique. And I, I promise, if I come up with one, I'll, I'll give you one. Uh, but okay. right now, this is a clarification question, right? So, I see a difference between you saying, like, there's something happening in the way you, like, grant, grant me this. I, somebody could write everything you said in a textbook. They're, they're, uh, high school textbooks, blah 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 blah, and they do all that. Right, and that it's not transformative of people, right? It like it, it it's just something it's that propositional. They, it's right, exactly, exactly, exactly. And what I hear happening is there's a moment in the in the homing where it goes from being propositional to something other than propositional. And you're nodding, so I'm on the right track. So can you unpack that a little bit more? That's that's well, it, it goes directly to participatory. Right. It's suddenly I am a participant in this thing. It's, it really grounds participatory knowing in a deep, deep way. That's one of the things I'm hearing, right? Uh, that, right? There's ways no, to I, which... I, I, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 please. Well, I, I mean, you know, uh, participatory knowing is the knowing that results from how, you know, uh, me and the environment are co-shaped together. And that can be culturally co-shaped. It can be evolutionarily co-shaped, but now we're down to ontologically co-shaped, like they, right. right? Right. And this is the deep, deepest grounding of participatory knowing, right? Yes. So the, the fact that both the planet and I and the planet and I together, I, I, I'm not trying to get too restrictive, right? But, you know, we, 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 we're all, you know, affected by the sun's gravity and radiation. And so we're, I'm being co-shaped, the planet, the environment, and me are all being co-shaped 
uh, by these uh, deeper ontological uh, continuities. That, that's what I'm hearing you say. They're really there's a way in which reality and I, I, let me play with words a little bit here. So I'm asking for a bit of generosity here. There's a way in which reality is realizing itself in the sense of you know, unfolding itself, actualizing itself, and the, and the way I'm realize, capable of realizing that in a cognitive sense, they're, they're, they're both being shaped at this participatory level to fit each other. Does, does that make, does that? Well, has it ever been any other way? You know, yeah, no, yeah. I, it, that's, it's just that we don't quite live like that's true. But right. news for you, it is true. Like that is, you, that's an inescapable conclusion from everything we know scientifically. Okay, so that, yeah, what, so I think we're in agreement, there's convergence here, there's a deep grounding of participatory knowing, how fundamental it is, how primordial, a word you used earlier, which is very good because it has good Heideggerian sense to it too, uh, meaning it, has, it goes into sort of the deep ontology that he talks about. So what do you mean then, that last thing you said was really crucial to me, we just don't live as if it's true, that seems to me to be a crucial thing. Right, that's the fiction. That's the inherited fiction. And, you know, and this comes down to us through, you know, the sages before us right. that, and we have all of these sort of diverging traditions that in one way or another sought to heal this, this divorce, you know, this right. sort of this, the separation of, of, of us. Now, by the way, so the way I just, sort of pitched that to you was very cosmic in scale, which sure. I know is hard to hard to realize as a human being living, you know, as an earthling. Right. You can also realize it though simply on the earth. I mean, and I think it's also probably, it's probably more appropriate and more important to just simply realize that we belong to the earth as opposed yeah. to the cosmos. I mean, if you're ready to really belong to the cosmos, there's plenty of fodder out there, you know, to help you. But if you, I think in the near term, the crisis that, you know, is faces us right now, which is ecological and planetary in scale, you know, it's probably more appropriate just to simply understand Excellent. how, Excellent. how so deeply we belong to this planet. Yeah. There's a pedagogical point. I get it. I get it. There's a, right, I, right. I tend to like, uh, you know, big picture stuff. You do too. That's uh, but, yeah. I, but I get your point. For many people, but there's, but there's something more intimate about being from the earth and yes, knowing that exactly. this, that yes. this, that this logic applies to earthbound identity. You know, it's and there's a deep intimacy to that that we can experience like. We don't have to go to space. We don't have to look through a telescope to, 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 to see this in action. Sure. Now, the thing is, human beings are capable of nested homes, right? I have my home in Toronto, which is in Canada, which is on the Earth. So you're not saying that these two senses have to be in opposition to each other, uh, but just one is more intimately available and perhaps should be pursued first. Yeah, because of the urgency of it, you know, yes, that, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. we are in a moment where the earth is really needing us to get our act together, you know, and to remember this, you know, and, and I won't, we don't need to get into it now, but I also happen to believe that many of the other perennial problems that we face will in some sense be addressed by default. If we get this deeper identity sorted out, that many of the that many of the uh, sort of uh, psychopathologies that befall us because of our separation from the planet will, you know, 
they are basically these other things like racism and economic injustice and absurd yeah. politics and yes. you know, all these other things. They, they are really just manifestations of this deeper sense of, 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 of identity crisis. Right. So, but it, interestingly, although we can, uh, like the argument we've already run sort of like strengthens the claim that this relationship to the earth, getting the right relationship to the earth is, the, is a fundamental relationship, a primordial relationship, right? So people may not need, you know, that, that cosmic stuff, but the, 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 the argument you've made about the big picture from science legitimates the claim, look, this, this relationship, this getting into the right relationship uh, with the earth um, will is, is probably going to ameliorate a lot of the other psychopathologies, as you put them, or we call it psyche pathology in the new series that Greg and uh, Gary and I- yeah, I noticed, yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, right, um, um, that uh, we'll address those. So I think that's a very interesting claim. So can you, can you, can you follow up on those, uh, like the, the claim that this is more intimate uh, it, it, for people? I think that's an important point. And then, you, like I said, you, you're right, we can't fully do it, but some idea of why you think um, addressing this will help to, ameliorate a lot of the other things that are um, familiar features of the meta crisis because of the sheer beauty and uh -huh. joy that yeah. being a part of this brings it is a kind of um and the gratitude like the sense of gratitude that is like this antidote to the to, to the grievance this yeah this sense that once you once you hold this, once you hold this as something, you fall in love with the world. Yes, and that yes. carries yeah. a lot of that carries a lot of inertia into the way you interact with the world. Right, which right. means it, it, it carries inertia into the way you see yourself, the way you treat others, the way it also it's it's. I think it's this antidote to hyperconsumption. Like why yeah. why do we why are we constantly consuming consuming consuming? Well, it's to to kind of to because we're grasping at ways to heal this, this hole in us. And yeah. so when, when you, when you identify with the living earth and you see its complexity and you see it play out in the way that birds sing or the way that water moves or the way the wind sounds or the way things smell, or it just, it enriches your life to such a degree that it makes so much of what we do this so much of the, the mistreatment and the suffering that we create, it makes it, it these things irrelevant. Like they kind of go away. I'm no longer interested in violence. I'm no longer interested in wow. so I, materiality. I just, so you, three things. And again, you sound so much like Plotinus right now. It was a, it's really, and those are not just compliments, by the way. Well, at least for <laughs> me, they would be, right? So you said, you mentioned beauty and joy and gratitude and how it really reframes your salience landscape in, in it just a profound way. So, nice. right, you're, you're, not, you're not sort of struggling to give, th to give things up. I remember, uh, I often quote, um, you know, St. Paul from the Bible, he's, where he says, it's like, I used to be, when I was a child, I, I spoke as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put childish things behind me. He doesn't have to sort of resist, mm -hmm. you know, eating too much candy or playing with toys or, right, because he now has a totally different salience landscape. It's that kind of transformation and, 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 and yeah. the way that you invoked a beauty and joy. So how, how do you, like, again, how do you go from 
Um, the, and I, I, I understand, I now see sort of, I, I, I'm sort of foreseeing why art plays such a big role in what you're talking about in the project. At least it did in the link you sent me. Um, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it is, how do you go about, and I get it now, we're not just reawake, we're not just getting people convinced of propositions, we're trying to reawaken a sense of identity. I, in fact, you said a sense of identification that awakens in us the capacity to fall in love with the world, beauty, joy, gratitude. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, knowing the story is like, the, this is what, you know, for me, for me, I grew up as this kid, you know, who was always outdoors, always getting scraped up and bruised and just out after dark and, you know, just got just yeah. wild child, you know, it ended up yeah. causing all kinds of, you know, problems later on. But I was just, so having that formative time, you know, in nature, I think is a big yes. part of it, which we've largely lost. Yes. Um, but the other way is through more, more intellectual endeavor, just knowing the story. We don't, and this is the thing where a lot of these other traditions didn't have the, 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 the resolution, the depth of knowledge that we have, the, re, the fine-grained resolution knowledge of, of, of nature that we have about like the science, what science has revealed. Yes. So I guess what I'm to answer your question is for me, that propositional knowledge about the way the world is built, you know, the way that it has come to be the way it is, has always been, you know, this exponential enhancer. It's been this amplifier of the participatory right. experience. Those two things have always sort of dovetailed and, and synergized with each other. Um, I think that's how, you know, that's just one way that I've done it, but it's, it requires a lot of investigation. It requires a lot of study, you know, of learning. It's, 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 think about, you know, Humboldt was the last one who was said to be able to have known all everything you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. about the natural yeah. history. Humboldt. Yeah. So we need, you know, I think we need some version of that. And I think that's what big history or deep history does is it tells the story in a way that is just infinitely rich. And um, just the way that multicellular organisms came about, the way that life has emerged, you know, abiogenesis, you know, the, the, the origination of life and what was going on just before it is so relevant to when, you know, an action, an activism, this idea, yeah. you know, this, I, that, that, that consciousness is a function of, of, of a mind and, and a world, you know, in, in conspiracy to create consciousness. Like yeah. that was going on prior to life like this idea that the world impinges itself onto materials moving them around putting them through gradients and creating the conditions of you know yes. the conditions for life before those those impulse those sort of processes of the world they 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 bleed right into an action like an activist thinking and yes. which shows how our version of that, our version of consciousness in its sort of, in its currently evolved state is on this lineage that goes straight back to the prebiotic world. Like that, it, that, that, that there are things going on at, at atomic and material scales that then show up in consciousness, that show up in people's dream, you know, imagination. They show up in the art. They show up. I just, 
you know, it's just like knowing stuff like that, like knowing the nuts and bolts facts, the scientific facts, you know, did a great deal to like open me to that, to that experience of that. That's, and that's really what I'm concerned with now is what, what are the experiences? What is the phenomenology of this ontology? Like if we take this stuff, if we take it seriously, you know, and I do, I take the science seriously. What is the lived experience of these, of of this? Like, yeah. Such that you get the beauty and the joy and the gratitude um, and the sense of belonging, the sense yeah, of belonging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. That's, that's what I really Yeah, and it's and it's a bite. It doesn't go away. You know, John, I've been at this for decades. And, you right. know, and 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 this and and it's you know, I wake up every day. You know, and it just doesn't fade. It only compounds. It only confirms itself. And I, and I know there's confirmation bias. I know all that stuff. But I'm just saying, like, no matter how I interrogate this, no matter how I seek to disprove it everything i learn confirms it validates it and then and, and propels it in forward you know like so what do you do with this you know like what, what, and and especially what do you do with it when you watch the world around you suffering falling apart crying right. out for new for new things yeah. you know crying out for new practices crying out for new ways of relating to each other so that we don't self-annihilate you know yeah. What do you, you know, how do you, this is my big, great frustration is how do we, I share this in a way that can be in some small way, a part of responding to the meaning crisis? Well, I mean, let me offer a suggestion then, and, uh, right. Um, I've been trying to get, you know, the cog side. A picture and a fairly big history picture, not as deep as yours, uh, but uh, no. But I, but I see, I see it as 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 a hundred percent consistent. You know, it is. I it see is. What, I, I, what you and Gregor's talking about is it. Yeah, I there's think just so. some there's some there's some details, especially pre pre prebiotic details. The, but, yeah, I agree. So what, what I meant was, so let, let's let's take it that we agree on that because I think we do. Um, what I meant was. Uh, uh, part of what and why I'm interested in Greg and why I'm talking with Greg's work, uh, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm interested not in just Greg, Greg's work. I'm interested also in Greg as a person. He's a friend, right? Um, you can tell. He's an important, he's an important person to me. Um, I didn't want to make it sound like I was, I was just, he was just a commodity because um, uh, that's part of the problem. Well, what I meant is like, I, I've been talking about, you know, ecologies of practices, and then communities of distributed cognition, collective intelligence. But I've always said that needs to be homed within a a scientific worldview that properly legitimates the communities and the ecologies of practice. And I think what you're you're doing is offering that. You're saying, here's a way of taking the scientific worldview and here's a way of framing it that would properly home the communities and the ecologies of practices. That's what I hear you saying. Yes. Yes. It brings context. I see. I, I and I and I don't mean this in a sort of you know in in a, in a disparaging way, but but all of the practices that I see out there, very few of them actually appeal directly to nature for yeah. guidance, inspiration, energy, wisdom, whatever you want to call it. Some do, and that's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, yeah. But but many don't. Many don't even really 
to sort of as, a, as an ally. I think that's the kind of oika shaped hole that's in a lot of these practices. That, that, that's, that I, uh... And, and, but, 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 but what, but what oika could do is contextualize all of them, give them a, a context to matter more in. Yes. Do you know what? Yeah, it does. <laughs> it, 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 I mean, so there are people. I mean, uh, you probably heard me talk to Rafe Kelly, and he one of the of the core of his ecology practice is he takes people out and he does parkour in nature, uh, because he emphasizes the perspectival, procedural, participatory knowing within nature as sort of the core yes. place, right? I or see Mania that. Yeah. Roy, the yeah. Stuff she does, where she has people come yep. on basically to a situation and they're interacting with horses and they're doing this really kind of primordial kind of communing uh, with uh, with non-human organisms as a profound so I, I, I you know there there is that uh that growing recognition and so i i think that what you're doing um first of all is valuable for right for pointing out that, that there's a centrality to what they're saying it the, give me a sec there's a centrality to practices within and with nature that should be given more priority within ecology of the practices. That's one of the things I think um, what you're arguing for would point. Like, like you're right, many ecologies of practices don't have the involvement with the natural world as an essential feature. And it seems like given your argument, that's something that should be addressed. And I, and I think some people, Bonita and Rafe come easily to mind, have, have at least intuitively seen that and have trying to put that as a priority. But I also think that it would apply to things that we would not normally think of as ready. For example, Catholicism, you know, yeah. straight up um, religion, the doc, religious doctrine. There is a place for those things in this story too. Yeah, yeah, are, yeah, yeah. This, yeah, can, not, this can actually this can validate it can it can validate every, it can heal the you know it's like science is actually confirming the religious the religious insight. So agree. The problem. <laughs> there's a whole. I think there's an a whole important. I'm not. I'm not. I'm, but what I, what I want to. I, I agree. And I mean, I, I've made th these arguments that I think you can see a lot of the functionality of religion when it's operating adaptively as trying to get us to fall in love with being again in a profound way. Um, but I do think I'm, I'm trying to pick up on this sense of the intimacy with the earth that you talked about. Uh, and that uh, I, I think, well, maybe you're not saying this, but one of the things I'm taking from this is there needs to be practices in which that's a little bit more explicit and focal. Like, you know, there's uh, like the sense sitting that people do, which is a very interesting practice. You go out in nature and you basically, instead of meditating inward, you sort of open yeah. yourself up receptively yeah. to what's going on around you. Like, Absolutely. Things like that um, sound like- I, 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 like I, I sometimes like avoid the idea of meditation. It's much more about contemplation, but I bring it one step further and say it's contemplation, yeah. like play. There's a yeah, play- excellent, excellent. Oh, like you really, you yeah. really do have to like engage in a kind of imagination, imaginal play. Yes. For example, for example, one of the things we do, I use a hammock a lot, like just yeah. a regular old hammock. And the reason is because I'll just say this briefly, like this is one of the practices is that 
you know, you, you have this hammock, you're walking through the woods, you're looking for a place to hang it up. What you need to find are two trees in the right relationship. So you have to kind of get yourself into a relational state of mind, looking right. for the relationship, yeah. right? And then when you get it and when you find it, you've got to put the hammock literally in the relationship between those two right. trees. Those right. trees right. are in an ongoing relationship. And so you enter into that relational space physically and you right. get into the hammock. And then there are all these practices that you can do, like we call like radical affection is one where you sort of conjure up this this sense of affection and you project it out into the tree and wait to yeah. see what comes back. And what you end right. up getting yeah. back is, well, yeah. I won't spoil the, but, but so I think that, you know, like there are practices and practices and there's, there's just so many practice, little things that we can, little contemplations that we can yeah. do. That's cool. To, to, you know, to ritualize and to, yeah. you, you know, to, 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 you know, to just um, to embody these things. Oh, I think ritual is fine. I just released my, uh, uh, my, my, uh, the link to the talk I gave at Cambridge about imaginal serious play and ritual. And that's exactly, exactly what you're talking about. And I could see why these would be uh, so transformative uh, people. Uh, and so like, do you, like, uh, you basically are offering people a course where they come and they learn to, like you said, it's a way of being, a way of seeing, a way of being. How do you help people get into this way of seeing and being? Well, I do have a course. I have, you know, I, I have developed a course. It's free. You know, my work is, is, is I'm lucky enough to have some funding, a philanthropic source, but yeah. so I've created this course that tells the story of the universe in, in you know, two chapters. And it, and it does, it just tells it in a way that highlights how everything is relational. And it, and uh, I've adapted that. I've uh, been working with a lot of artists um, it's, it's strange that I would sort of find this affinity with artists because as it's, you know, coming up through the sort of scientific yes. mill, I was never asked to, or encouraged to do anything with art. And so I didn't. And then just in the last couple of years, I've discovered that there is this incredible community, this incredible, incredible population of people out there that are deeply sensitive and deeply creative who also don't really know any of the science because like me, they weren't asked to, you know, really engage with the science because they took an artistic professional route. And so we've sort of found each other out there and there's this emerging community of practice of artists who are willing to take their sensitivities, learn the language that I can give them, like learn, learn the story of the universe, see how their, their creative practice is actually an extension of nature's creativity. And once right. they sort of tap into that alliance, they can bring it to the work, they can bring it to their art, which right. means that the ecological intelligence ends up getting embedded in the art. If, yeah, those, yeah. if, it, gets, if it gets yeah. into the artist, it gets into the art. If it gets into the art, it gets into the culture. So that's the sort of, that's the, yeah. the kind of like yeah. methodology that, that I've been playing with a lot lately. Um, but otherwise, um, you know, for me, you know, it's, I really don't have anything to sell, you know, like I'm not. No, no, I didn't I, think you did. Yeah. But, but I do, but I am on this sort of ongoing pilgrimage to right. like, and I'm actually starting to work with scientific field stations. Back in the day when I was doing you know, ecological research, there is this whole network of field stations that are just out there. They're the places that scientists go to do field work. And so I've been sort of slowly bringing artists into that world and giving oh, them access to these excellent. habitats. Excellent. Yeah, as a way of, and then it becomes a collaboration between art and science. The, you know, the science can sort of inform the art, but the art can then really blow up 
the experience of of place of of nature and so we've been working you know that's something that's sort of been been unfolding in the last you know six or eight months um so i forget why i was telling you that i think it was because you asked me how do you how do you bring people yeah how do you help people into this way of being uh like what what practices do you give them uh what what kinds of knowledge do you give them what kind of i mean uh a lot of people I find that it's a it's 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 a long process, John. To like you know, yeah. I could teach a course, you know, I could give a workshop, I can you know, we can do these practices, but the the most fruitful ones, the ones that have the real sort of magic, are the ones that become relationships with with you know with you know friendships and yeah, and yeah. Uh, co creative projects. Yeah, yeah, apprenticeship and fellowship are you know really 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 yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's yeah. and it's this and it's it's you know it's two way. I've learned so much from working with these artists. You know, they, yeah. they you know I just get to see the world totally differently, and it's and it it's, it it brings an energy to the whole thing. And that's so um, yeah. I don't have a formal sort of offering other than if anyone wants if if, if this is interesting to anyone, they just got to seek me out. And, right. Um, right. I've started doing podcasts. I hope to do more of those. But really, it's about when people are ready, they'll find this. You know, it, it, they've got to be ready to receive the gift, frankly. And, and that's, that's how it works. That's the best way, I think. Well, that seems like a good place to close our, our first discussion. I foresee that we are going to have others. I, I hope you'll come back again on Voices with Vicky because... Uh, um, this has been really I hope so. Really I think it would be great to like, let's, let's, I, I, what I what kind of, you know, a sort of fantasy of mine would be to go through the different thresholds of cosmic evolution and draw out all of the wisdoms, all of the insights and talk I about would, the practices. Be great. I would like to do that. So let's, let's set that up to do that. I think that's an excellent <laughs> thing to do. Um, yeah. So uh, uh, I'll ask which to give uh, some links so those of you who want to take up his very generous invitation um, can reach him, can talk to him. Um, and uh, I, I'm promising those of you who are interested, he's definitely going to be on, if he wishes, he's definitely going to be on Voices with Viveki again. Um, this, um, but you did a lot to embody the, the beauty and the joy that, that uh, I think will ultimately be the things that most persuasive uh, for people. Uh, so. Um, it's been really, really wonderful. And I, I always like to give people who are my guests uh, sort of, you know, the, the last chance, you know, the last word, any, any brief sort of uh, final thing you want to say. Um, I guess just know that this is out there, that, yeah. you know, when you feel like despair, when you feel that the world is broken, you're right, it is broken, but like, there is hope and i know it's my opinion isn't worth anything at this moment but in my opinion there's reason for hope like and i can actually see that hope and and if i can see it maybe you can see it and that you know there is a way that humanity can transition you know that is the name of the game we've always done that and we still can do it and it might seem overwhelming and it might seem intimidating you know but actually, when you really allow yourself, you discover that this is a, a beautiful, like, 
and it's a beautiful opportunity. It's not just a crisis. It's an opportunity. And um, yeah, that's, that's, that's it. We can do this. We kind of have to do this and, and there are ways to do it. And so keep looking. <laughs> Thank you, Rich. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you.